Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with Hackmaster, Ralph W. Basham, MD. Co-host, Catherine Brandt. Andy Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. Special guest, Rod Pyle, up next with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt then talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive introduces the new kids on the block, not the band. It's their three newest dealerships. Experience the Walzer Way at Wyzetta Nissan on 394 or Walzer Polar Chev and Walzer Polar Mazda on Highway 61 in White Bear Lake. I've had all three general managers on the podcast, and I can honestly say that Mike, John, and Brett are some of the finest car people in the seven-county Mosquito Control District. This month, in addition to great deals, they're searching for used cars and will pay Kelly Blue Book Excellent whether you trade or sell outright. Some reconditioning can apply, so please, no flood cars from Apple Valley. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Chevy, Mazda, or Nissan, check out the new kids on the block. Don't tell them Tom sent you. Just show up and be amazed. That stuff never works anyway. Look who's all clever with the intro music. That works for me. I like it. In honor of the 50th anniversary of the groundbreaking Apollo 11 mission, this lavishly illustrated book featuring stunning photographs and many rarely seen images and documents tells the incredible story of the first men on the moon. First on the moon, the Apollo 11 50th anniversary experience. Rod Pyle, our special guest. How are you doing, Rod? Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Marvelous. I remember this very uh, I day. I think you can hear me. I'm not on air feed. Oh, you, I can hear you. You can't. Okay, good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm good. You sound really, really good. As a matter of fact, you sound Excellent. very good. Um, yeah, I, I do remember this day. I was not very old when it happened. But, you know, Rod, does any of this have to do with the fact that the 1960s in America and pretty much around the world was a very tumultuous period? A lot of starting with Medgar Evers and JFK and going all the way through 1968, and this happened in July 1969. Do you think part of it, not like I'm saying they rushed it or anything like that, but showing our good side, showing the great side of being an American and being a human being, did that have anything to do with the timing of this mission? Well, it certainly was rushed. I mean, Kennedy made right. this proclamation in 1961, we're going to the moon, guys, which NASA said, <laughs> Uh, great, kind of. <laughs> because they knew there was an awful lot to do and in, in a way didn't even really know what questions to ask yet. We just started thinking about this. And then come 1968, when Apollo 8 first looped the moon, the schedule was already highly accelerated. We were basically waiting for the lunar module to get ready because it was behind schedule. Mm. But um, we'd gotten reports from the CIA that there was a lot of activity happening at a very large launch pad in the Soviet Union. And we suddenly saw what looked very much like another Saturn V, a moon, their moon rocket, which ended up not working. But 
they were starting to put things together out there. And so they put the pedal down on the, on the accelerator and Apollo 8 flew without a lunar module. So it orbited the moon, very risky mission because if that main engine had failed, they'd still be there, which would not be good. Mm. And then finally, Apollo 11 flies in July of 69, um, about where they wanted it to time-wise. Uh, and again, they were waiting for that lunar module because it was having developmental problems, but what a spectacular mission. And I was 11 at the time, and uh, like you, was probably watching it on a very big box, very small screen, black and white yeah, TV, yeah. which is kind of a hard to imagine these days. I tell my son what it was like, and he just looks at me like I'm some kind of Cro-Magnon man. But what an incredible day. Yeah, it was, absolutely. And you were, I mean, I was a little boy, and you were as well, but it it did make you very proud to be an American that day, I'll tell you that. Very, it, very touching. It did, and even up through the, the Gemini missions, I mean, the, the pride was palpable. It was a very nationalistic time. Interestingly, it almost wasn't. Um, shortly after that, that lunar announcement that Kennedy made, he made quiet overtures to Khrushchev and the Soviet Union saying, you know, we could do this together a lot easier than, than doing it separately. And uh, although Apollo was very much a geopolitical decision, it was really a way to try and uh, match the Soviet Union's accomplishments in space and exceed them. It was the only thing we could figure out that was hard enough that we could do before they could. But very shortly after that announcement, he did make quiet overtures to Khrushchev, which were rebuffed silently. And um, so it could have been an international program, but in the end, of course, it wasn't. During the mid-60s, as Gemini was catching up with and surpassing Soviet achievements in space, uh, there was a notion that that uh, this this may not actually come to pass. There was a lot of pushback on Apollo, as opposed to what is commonly thought the nation was united behind this. The actual support was about the same as it is now, about 50%. Came and went, depending on which mission was flying. But um, there, there are a number of junctures where this whole thing could have come grinding to a halt, especially after the fire of Apollo 1, which mm. killed two astronauts on the ground. But it didn't, and it was a, a time of great nationalism, really. It was. I remember it fondly. Do you, uh, do you think that this is the trip, the men on Mars is going to be a similar situation where it's going to be a national pride kind of thing where maybe China uh, is going to start pushing <laughs> to get there before us, before Elon? Ah, that is such a hard one to answer. So as, as your audience may or may not know, Elon Musk has announced that he's building a large spacecraft called Starship now. It's changed its name a few times capable of carrying up to 80 people to Mars and back, and he has an aspirational date of 2024. Not many of us think he's going to make that, but that's what he's trying for. At the same time, the United States has been talking about doing a NASA-led human mission to Mars since, really, since the mid-1960s. That was supposed to be one of the follow-on projects for Apollo. Could we have done it earlier? Probably. Could we have done it safely? It's hard to say. We've learned a lot more about long-duration spaceflight. Mars is if you do it right, it's a couple of years with the round trip and the mm. stay time on the surface. So that's a lot of time out in that high radiation environment. There's a lot of radiation in space and weightlessness is tough on the body. So I think there's a good chance it'll be a government-led program first, but Musk has certainly given them a run for their money. China said maybe 2040 on their side. They're really emphasizing the moon right now. They want humans on the moon. They want humans on the moon. One thing I would, uh, I would tell Mr. Elon Musk you got to pick your battles better because he's in a fight right now with Pablo Escobar's brother, Roberto, which most people don't win fights with the Escobar family. I will tell you that. Yeah. Well, and and has sued the Air Force in the past to yes. gain access to bidding on, on flight contracts, which I think was a legitimate beef. Right. But, um, you know, it's tough when you sue your clients. No doubt about it. You know, I, I, I do remember sitting, like you said, the television, the, the television itself was the size of your house and then the screen was about the size of a dinner plate but, but other than that it was and one thing i did I, I did ask my mother when we got our very first color television i said do you think the colors will ever be like the same as they are in life because the colors the tints and were wow. way off it was like and they still are off they still are off that's true uh that's interesting stuff but it was and, and we were supposed to have uh, color television from the moon on the second Apollo landing, yeah. Apollo 12, 
And as you probably remember, that that lasted about eight minutes until mm-hmm. the camera was inadvertently panned past the sun and burned out, <laughs> and it turned into a radio show. So we had space <laughs> walks of a couple hours each. Um, yeah. CBS had a couple of, uh, of Grumman employees at the Long Island plant where Grumman had built the lunar modules in a beautiful concrete moodscape they used for training with a full-scale lunar module. So most of us watched CBS. ABC had to scramble and run down to, as I understand it, Western costume in Hollywood to get a couple of oh, moon God. suits that weren't quite right. Oh, God. And a backdrop. NBC, however, was the real loser that day because they had, for some reason, hired the puppeteer that did the marionette sequence in The Sound of Music. Oh. And so the NBC simulation looked like something out of Thunderbirds ago. We had marionettes <laughs> with hammers taped in their hands. And, of course, every time... Oh. One of the astronauts, uh, you know, either Pecan or, Al- or Albine during the moonwalk would say, hey, hand me the hammer. You'd have to cut away to a picture of the Earth and then cut back to these puppets with a hammer taped in their hand, kind of lamely banging on something. So it was not a great moment. But, but soon after, we had color TV, and that was, that was incredible. Yeah, it was soon afterward. You're absolutely right. Why do you think, Rod, we're talking to Rod Pyle about his book, First on the Moon, the Apollo 11 50th Anniversary Experience, why do so many people, it seems like a lot of people in any case, want to believe that this never happened, that it was all fake? Uh, what was the name of that movie? Capricorn One, I think it was called. Yeah. But why do they want to think, what, what is the upside of faking a moon landing? I don't understand that. <laughs> well, I guess the contention is that it was too hard to do with 1960s technology. And looking back 50 years, it is amazing that it works, given yes. that we were... Mm-hmm just off of vacuum tubes and tin toys. But I think that what's so attractive about conspiracies, and there are many, of course, Kennedy assassination, 9-11, you name it. You know, there's no price of admission. You don't have to get a, a master's degree or a PhD in that field to become an expert. You just read things on the internet and listen to certain radio shows. And next thing you know, you're an instant expert and you get to tell everybody, yeah, we never landed on the moon. What's making it worse, and the denier club is actually increasing faster in younger people, millennials and younger, I think because a number of sports figures and and other people of renown in that age bracket in the marketplace have said, I don't believe. Now, these are people uh, with no qualifications to make that determination right. whatsoever, other than the fact that they breathe and eat like the rest of us. But if some basketball player, for instance, says, yeah, I don't think we went to the moon, suddenly there's this surge in young people <laughs> saying, I knew it. And it, it becomes a very sexy thing to follow. All you have to do is go back to the Soviet Union's archives. They opened up in the 90s after the fall of the Soviet Union, and you will see that the KGB and other organizations, including Roscosmos, were very carefully following the Apollo landings mm-hmm. with large radio telescope dishes. They were, were listening to and tracking the spacecraft as they went to the moon, as they landed. They were listening to the moonwalks real time. And they said themselves, we knew you were there. We have proof it's right here on the graph. So if the Soviets aren't going to call us on it, yeah. it's a pretty open and shut case. <laughs> it's pretty open and shut. Well, I mean, a pretty uh, obvious question is how do those retro reflectors get there if not by humans? So Right. And there's a number of countries using them. It's not just us. As early as the, the first few hours after they were placed on Apollo mm-hmm. 11, the French were trying to, uh, to bounce a, a laser off of them. These are mm-hmm. mirror boxes that were placed on lunar surface on each Apollo landing to reflect a laser beam back to Earth so you could measure within inches the distance between the moon and the Earth for various scientific purposes. And a lot of countries were eventually able to return that bounce signal. But again, there's just people that want to say, oh, it's a conspiracy and yeah. they're in NASA's pocket and all that. And I'm telling you, man, if the French found out those mirrors weren't there, they probably let the world know. Yeah, they might. <laughs> it's true. So I have to be a pain in the neck right now, Rod. Oh, please. I, I, uh, I went to high school <laughs> with a guy whose last name was Pyle, P-Y-L-E. And, ah. and I am, he, all he ever talked about was when he got out of high school, he was going to join the Marine Corps because of Gomer Pyle. Oh, no. He did. <laughs> oh, it's all he ever talked about, oh, Rod. It's a name to live up to. A name to live up to. <sighs> so you were never in the Marine Corps, were you? I never was, but I heard about Gomer all through high school and and later. And about the time that died out, Full Metal Jacket came out, which Private Pyle wiped out his his gunnery sergeant or his drill sergeant. Right. 
So it was just tapering off, and then that happened. I said, oh, look, it's a Stone Cone Killer, and I thought, oh, thank you so much. So, yeah, I had thought about changing my name at one time or another, but it just wasn't at the cards. No, it's a great name. Rod Pyle's a great name. You sound like a tough guy. That's good. Rod Pyle sounds like a tough guy, don't you think? Mr. Monosyllable, yeah. <laughs> Monosyllabic name, too. I think it's wonderful. What a great, uh, great example. How long did it take you to write the book, by the way? I was a couple of years, you know, yeah. I had uh, written two or three other Apollo books before this and mm -hmm. had the benefit of spending a lot of time in the National Archives, a lot of time in the Johnson Space Center archives, talking to moonwalkers, collecting photos, both physical and online. So I had a pretty good head start with all this material uh, right down to to scans of original documents. I scanned probably, I don't know, close to a thousand documents at these various centers, including a really neat little museum called the Kansas Cosmosphere in Hutch Hutchinson, Kansas. And um, they have incredible holdings there as well. So I was able to photograph and scan a lot of this stuff. So it, was a, it wasn't a terrible challenge to do it in about 18 months, maybe a little longer. Um, and it was just such great fun. I mean, to actually get paid to roll around in this stuff and yeah. go through it all again and do transcripts of the downlink and so forth. And I got to add one thing. I probably listened to the downlink from the Apollo 11 moonwalks, uh, I don't know, 40, 50 times. And that Neil Armstrong is not the one we saw in the movie First Man. He was not a stumbling around, depressive, quiet, monosyllabic guy. He was actually somewhat glib. He was quiet, but he had a very wry sense of humor. When he had things to say, he said them with passion. And if you listen to the downlink, he and Aldrin were both giddy. They were not close friends, but they were having a fantastic time up there, and you can hear it. It's nothing like that mythologized version that they had in the movie. So I was a little bugged by that, I have to say. Yeah. Why do they do those things, you think, Rod? Well, there was a book called First Man by a very brilliant guy named Jim Hansen, uh, who's a, a scholar. And he wrote a very long, I think it was about 500, 400 pages, um, biography of Armstrong with extensive interviews with Armstrong, which are hard to get. And, you know, that kind of set the, the key notes for the movie. But then I think the director kind of took it off in a different direction. As I said, this sort of mm -hmm. mythologized mm -hmm. version of Neil Armstrong and made this decision to really focus on the death of his young daughter and focus mm -hmm. on the hospital bracelet. And that sequence where Armstrong tosses the bracelet in the crater uh, during the moonwalk really has no basis in fact. There's a suspicion that he might have, but he never said so. And Jim Hansen never claimed that. So it's just one of those dramatic inventions that made for a powerful ending for the movie, but may not have actually happened. So that's always kind of a problem for me. Rod, it always works out for me when I interview someone and I learn things and I have a good time and have a few laughs. So you filled all the, all the criteria. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Rod Pyle, P-Y-L-E. The book is called First on the Moon, the Apollo 11 50th Anniversary Experience. Thank you so much, sir. I'd love to talk to you again sometime. Great pleasure. Let's do it soon. Thank you, sir. We'll be back with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me too? No. <laughs> God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't like <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, 
then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Zero hour, I haven't seen this yet. Rocket I just, Man. I just saw it this last weekend. What'd you think? I liked it. Dave didn't like it as much. Well, I mean, he liked it. It is kind of depressing, you know? Yeah. yeah. But I, I liked how it was done. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I'll, I'll go see it. Yeah. Was it? Elton John, he, he liked the drugs, too, for a while, didn't he? Oh, that was, alcohol and That drugs. was really prominent in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a depressing kind of a thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, being confused about your sexuality, you know, drugs, alcohol. I mean, that's rough. That's rough stuff. And they really emphasize that in the movie, how he struggled. I know. Greatly with that, and people taking advantage of him and stuff. But I really liked it. I mean... I don't know if you want to spend the money to see it in the theater. I mean, it'd be great oh, really? to see it at home on, you know, okay. you know, on your TV. It's yeah, we so- have your Prozac nearby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have your antidepressant nearby, so they are oh, I could, I can't in your watch sweat that. Your sweatpants with too your sad. all your uh, uh, ice cream no. and <laughs> tissues. I suppose. Did you see yesterday? Yes, I loved it. Oh, that's right. We talked about. Yeah. You seen it? No, I haven't seen it. It's really so good. good. It really is good. Really, it's good. it's like a feel good movie. It is. Yeah, you actually are happy to yeah, be there. Yeah, you're actually <laughs> happy to be there. I just loved how he had to Google everything. Oh my God, that was so funny. <laughs> he did. He had to Google everything. <laughs> and what was it again? That there's some of the great ones. What the hell? Well, it was Coke. Coca-Cola. Oh, Coca-Cola. Coke. Yeah, that yeah, that What's a Coke? What's a Coke? What? And all of a sudden, it pans up to go and googling, and he's like, "What the heck?" <laughs> Yeah, all what happens yeah. is they yeah. lose power. The world is the whole yeah, world. Yeah, not power, very right? long. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a worldwide blackout for like twelve seconds. And when they they came back, only he remembered there were the Beatles. Nobody else had ever heard of the Beatles. And he was Coke. an aspiring musician. So. All right, he was. Coca Cola didn't even exist. Pepsi did, but not Coke. And uh, cigarettes. Cigarettes. <laughs> I have no idea what a cigarette. Well, that was. would be a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That would be a really good thing. Ooh, the, oh, there's a good. There's a good question. How much did Pepsi pay for that place? Well, yeah, there no you kidding. go. To wipe Holy out Coke. Holy cow! Wipe out yeah, Coke. and they but did Coke have. Got mentioned. Oh, and yeah, it was product it place too. There was a, there big was a, time yeah. product placement of Pepsi. Was, yeah. Oh yeah, is that interesting? Yeah. Because yeah, that, because you know they went they went to Pepsi, they went to Coke, and they said, "Here you go, we're going to do this movie." Yeah, you on a barrel head, brother. Well, he's lucky he had Google still, so because <laughs> otherwise right. he would have had to bing it. You'd had to bing everything <laughs> or ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, yeah, my God, was, I haven't even heard that. Of that was one years. of the very first yes, search. Yeah, Ask Jeeves. Yeah. Well, I think Yahoo was pretty early on, too. Yeah. yeah Did you hear search? about the uh, people over in India that named their child Google? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> story yeah. I saw that. Dear hey, Google. No, and they sent him a, <laughs> a, a bag of like a pathetic cat or bag. A dog. Oh, they sent him a bag of like a, a Google onesie. and. Oh, my God. <laughs> they gave him merch. <laughs> yeah, they gave him merch <laughs> from Google. They, they gave a handful of merch. Well, he's a walking advertisement, I guess. He's going to walk around saying, hey, uh, my name's Google. <laughs> yeah, I don't really understand why you'd want to name your kid Google because Google, G-O-G-O-L, is a one with a hundred zeros behind yeah, it. Yeah, especially if you had one of those uh, things in your house. What's the Google one? There's Alexa. Oh, Google Home. There's yeah, Alexa, Google. and what's the Google one? It's Google just called. Home. Oh, yeah, I thought Google it had Home. a name. Nope. No. No. What do you call it? Google. No. I think you just say, hey, Google. My phone might go off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it does that all the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, unless you might be able to assign a name to it. I'm not sure because oh, I don't you, have the the Google one, but uh, I would call ours Kathy just to piss off Catherine. That would be so hey, Kathy. That'd be so nice of you, <laughs> <laughs> Kathy. With a C, Kathy. <laughs> Kathy. A baby born in November on the Indonesian island of Java was named Google, and after the story went viral, the Indonesian branch of the tech giant recently sent the family a bag of Google swag. 
Asia One reports, Google Indonesia called us, the baby's, uh, baby boy's mom says. They expressed congratulations and wished that baby Google could grow up and be a helpful and useful person. Many others included in the uh, goodie. Does this mean that Google will spy on everything you say? Because that's what Google does. Oh, sure. Oh, they're just, they're sucking that information up. Well, just think Unbelievable. That, well, we talked about that last week, that I, I mentioned the fact that you were, you mentioned something on the air and the ad showed up on yes. your computer within yep. minutes. Happened with oh. North American Banking Company yesterday. I was trying to find out the value of my luggage that was relatively destroyed by Delta. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, looking around because I don't have an original receipt from a million years ago. And all of a sudden, so I closed out out of that. First thing that popped up on the opening page was those suitcases. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. So you need to buy another one, huh? Uh-huh. That's terrible that they can <laughs> I know. eavesdrop on people like that. That is really out of line. They're, in it, they're eavesdropping, not, but they're, they're eavesdropping on what you enter, yep. the digital representation, what you mm-hmm. enter, but also your voice. That is. Yeah. Yeah, that is really. Yeah, what I said yesterday because there's a pre-sell to the North American Banking Company spots, so I said this segment of the KQ Morning Show brought to you by North American Banking Company. A couple of minutes later, I look at my screen. There's a big North American Banking Company logo on my screen. In the I was on the Star Tribune page actually, so it appeared like in the corner of the Star Tribune uh, webpage. Was that is that? Coming as a result of them listening to the broad uh, the airwaves or the microphone in your computer. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. You can disable the microphone in your computer. Oh, well, I mean, you can disable. It doesn't mean no I'm real... not listening. Oh, is this really? one have a picture? I can't. Oh, this one does. There's have no a real camera. reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I keep a stamp. I put a stamp on my camera. Dave puts a post-it. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't even know there was a camera. <laughs> <laughs> Start my picking teeth. your nose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pictures of a cat butthole or something. Look at that all day. Again, with this. Be too far off because every time I go on my laptop, my cat's, ooh, mom's not working. Let's go sit on her computer. It's nice and warm. (laughs) It is. I suppose when you open it up, yeah. I suppose. Computers are warm. They would love love to get after that. Works for me. I had a friend that used to put her cats to sleep, she'd run the dryer. Mm-hmm. And put a towel on top of it, uh, and if oh they were annoying God. her, then she'd put them on top of the dryer on the towel. And they'd just so go right warm. to sleep. Oh, yeah, nice and warm. <laughs> there. Absolutely. Nap time. Somebody explain to me what the hell an alligator was doing in Chicago. Did you hear about Probably this? Probably released from somebody yeah. who decided that that would make a great pet. And I'm not going to use its name in the beginning here because whoever named it is a pain in the ass. <laughs> Dundee. It, it took a week, but uh, the alligator's finally out of Chicago's Humboldt Park Lagoon. Chicago police confirmed to CNN that the four to five foot long American alligator in Chicago oh. well, was caught sometime between Monday night and Tuesday morning by Florida alligator expert Frank Robb. Oh, we've had him on the show. He's a good guy. Got too big for the bathtub. Surprisingly, Rob used a fishing rod to catch the creature, reports NPR. One cast and done, says Rob, who became a celebrity of sorts in the city during the hunt. He used a strong line, and the hook snagged the animal's tail. Oh. Is what happened. City officials believe the animal was an illegal pet, as a resident uh, suggested early on. You think? Animal Care and Control Executive Director Kelly Gandersky previously said the gator, spotted by a photographer early on July 9th, would be moved to a permanent home in an appropriate location. The city had closed part of the park near the lagoon, and Rob spotted the alligator kind of hiding in the lily pads, says a city official. I don't, they don't say who nicknamed it, but uh, the name of the alligator was Chance the Snapper. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chance the Snapper. Chance the Snapper. Wow. Chance the Rapper, Chance the Snapper. What's the difference? I saw a thing, too. A, a crocodile Yeah. came up on the shores in Hollywood, Florida. A crocodile? That means it migrated from... Yeah, I was going to well, say. Oh. Huh. I think oh, there are crocodiles in Florida. There are? I don't no, think just so. alligators. Well, alligators are like native to that area. Yeah, but, alligator, but I thought there were crocodiles there. You might be. You might be right. Well, I know every once in a while, I know that it's been known that some of the crocodiles will migrate. Well, what's a caiman? 
Is it Cayman and Crocodile? Yeah. Yeah. Because they have those down in like the Cayman Isles and all that kind of stuff. There are crocodiles in Florida. There are. There's not many of them and they only inhabit salt water. Yeah, because they yes. only like salt water and most of Florida's inland water is fresh water. Yeah, and right. it, this was like a huge crocodile that came up on shark. Can you imagine? No. Oh my god, it's bad crocodile enough you have to worry about sharks. Up. Now you gotta worry about croc I just saw the movie Crawl too. Uh. <laughs> oh, I heard that wasn't very good. It, it was okay. I mean, it's it was it is what it, it is. It's not as bad. It was bad. Berry peppers in it. And I like berry pepper, but it it was okay. Oh, I, like, I do like berry it, pepper. It didn't have the same pull that Jaws did, you know, or no. Lake Placid. Or did it have the same? Uh, pull is Sharknado. Yes. Oh, no, it's not as cheesy as Sharknado. I love Sharknado. <laughs> it's not as cheesy. Cheesy. It's yeah. not as cheesy. I, it was okay. I mean, it would oh, be fine man. for like a night, like a red box rental type yeah. of thing. I wouldn't. Yeah. Red box. Spend ten dollars. Oh, they're still all over the place. Believe it or not, believe it or not, they're still all over the place. I use red box all the time. You still have a player? What? Are we allowed to say? No, I just, I didn't want to, for our next holiday, I bought you a VHS player, so I don't want anybody to find it out. <laughs> <laughs> you got hey, those, are get, those are coming back. I remember oh in 1991, you can't worst. even get them. They were terrible. Can you buy it VHS now of things? They're expensive to buy one. Did I still have my the original one that Joe McFadden gave to me for Christmas. The one that was the size of out. a conference room yeah. table? The size of this table. <laughs> Huge. It weighed, I swear to God, it weighed 60 pounds. Well, it was yeah. solid state. It was solid state, baby. <laughs> but you'd push a button and out of the top came the thing and then you put the, yeah. the Oh, we thought that thing was down. pretty cool. Oh, look, we well, can watch movies at home. Cool. I know. Ooh. Back in the, the <laughs> Where's early, my carrot? It, yeah. only ate, <laughs> it only ate tapes about every five seconds. I know. Exactly. Well, back in the early Early eighties, my grandfather put all of his stock into Betamax because oh. he thought Betamax was going to be VHS. So all of our home movies, all the movies that we bought, you know, like the old classic Hollywood mm-hmm. movies, he bought on Betamax. Okay, what is Betamax again? I don't even it's remember. basically VHS, but a smaller. little bit smaller. Yeah, and it was a oh. Sony product oh. rather than a and it was JVC expensive. product. Yeah, time. and but VH what VHS outbeat Betamax, and now oh. you. Wow. <laughs> I. It's, because the it movies were much smaller, you could have, and they were higher quality. Betamax can only were, record yeah. sixty minutes, though. Oh, VHS could do one hundred twenty. So basically, Betamax was useless for movies. That's and it was, true. And yeah. it was cheaper. So, so that would have been good for home movies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Economically, it was cheaper for families to own a VHS versus oh, yeah. a Betamax. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he put all the stock in Betamax. That was a big flop. Well, oh, that's dear. too bad. Why didn't they adjust that and and bring it out to 120 minutes? Why didn't they fix that problem? Because that it was magnetic tape, so they would have had to make the tapes bigger, so all the Betamax oh, players wouldn't yeah. be able to fit them. So big enough. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That was a stupid idea. Yeah, remember yeah, then there, there were the yeah. horrible laser discs for oh, a while. Yeah, those were quadra- huge. Quadraphonic. Yeah, and all that, that was supposed to be super cool. Those did not last long. Well, it's, laser discs. No, they did not. No, the ad, the acceleration of technology is oh. so interesting because a friend yeah. of mine yep. had a phone in his car. Mm. It was built into the Mercedes. It was built mm-hmm. into the Mercedes. Well, yeah, it had like an antenna phone. for it. it, 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 it was, you know, but it was built in. You had the, you just you had your number there. People it's like call a home you. phone. It was like a home like, phone right? in your yeah. car. Yeah. Yeah. That was only about two or three years that model was available because the, the flip phone started to come You're out. Right. It, it, it just was. It just goes out of out of. Uh, not fashion, but it goes out of uh, it use. Obsolete. Obsolete. Yeah. Yeah. We just yep. watched Twister, nineteen ninety six, I think, and the like high powered doctor. She had a cell phone, and no one had ever seen one before, and it was obviously 96. it was huge. Yeah, yeah with the pull out, and antenna. you had to pull out the antenna. Oh, God. And, <laughs> okay, Tom what? had one of those too. It was yep. like a suitcase. For someone that hates technology, he always had the he always had the newest and greatest thing. Mm-hmm. That was Bo Siegel's fault. Why? Because he always bought it first, and then he goes, "Look uh, at this!" I go, "Oh, damn it!" I had to I keep had to up with that. the seagulls. Keep up with the seagulls. Mm, yeah, exactly. I get it. Flying with the seagulls. With Bo Siegel, you're absolutely right. Oh, by the way, Bo Siegel sent me a text message. He said, "Man, you look great in your European photos." So are you are you posting nice photos of me or something? I always try to make everyone look as good as I can. Oh, try as opposed yeah, yeah, yeah. to my daughter. That it's like if I look like a 
Neanderthal <laughs> gargoyle. She'll post those. Oh, yeah. Mm. Well, there is that. You're absolutely <laughs> I think she right looks for bad ones. Eh, possibly. Either that or I just am not photogenic. I'm not sure which one <laughs> No, it is. I'm pretty sure you're photogenic. I think photo, being photogenic is not a problem for you. I, I absolutely true. She seems to be able to find really bad ones. See, look, we only got 30 seconds left Uh-oh. in this segment, and we have a guest coming up, and we haven't mentioned mm-hmm. the, the fight between the squad of four and Donald Trump at all. Oh, goody. I'm glad. Oh, what do you Let's think of that? Let's not do that. Well, Charles is ready to go when we get back from the break. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be okay. great. I like that, as a matter of fact. we got about 10 more seconds in this area. Oh, geez, Judge may have just saved Monsanto $55 million. That's something I want to talk about tomorrow. Bear still plans to appeal March verdict over Roundup's alleged link to cancer. Is it beyond allegation now? I don't know. We'll take a break. Be right back. Special guest up next with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Hi, it's Tom. After achieving my goal of losing 92.5 pounds in less than five months, thanks to the Sheehy brothers and the amazing staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I'd like to encourage you to let Nutramost help you shed those unwanted pounds, too. Besides eating fresh foods, another one of the reasons that the Nutramost weight loss plan works so well is the one-on-one coaching that you receive. We all know the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So, how long have you been trying to lose weight on your own without the help of a coach? When you have someone keeping you accountable, it makes achieving your goal so much easier. Make a commitment to your health and let Nutramost help you with your weight loss journey. I encourage you to schedule your immediate consultation or attend the Nutramost free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Monday, June 24th at Jake's in Plymouth. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Call now, 763-333-7337. Norman Greenbaum. There are not many songs about Jesus written by a guy named Norman Greenbaum. No, there isn't. Only all the Christmas songs. I like it. Yeah, sure. All the Christmas songs. That's very true. I like that. It works yeah. for me. Kenny G Christmas. Damn right. One giant leap, the impossible mission that flew us to the moon. Charles Fishman, how you doing, Charles? I'm good. How are you guys? Everything's going really, really well. What a great subject for today. President John F. Kennedy astonished the world on May 25th, 1961, and when he announced to Congress that the United States should land a man on the moon by 1970, no group was more surprised than the scientists and engineers at NASA. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's true. One giant leap will still, I mean, that's been in my head now for 50 years, obviously. And when you use those three words together, one giant leap, one. Yeah. You you absolutely know who you're talking about, where he said it, and when he said it. Is that not right, Charles? I, I think that's absolutely true. The, the phrase is really associated with going from the Earth to the moon in, in eight years. And you know what? Isn't it nice that, that that incredible, really impossible undertaking at that moment is associated with that phrase? It really was, yep. it was a giant leap in half a dozen ways. It was absolutely. Why do you think it is that President Kennedy, just uh, a few months after he became president of the United States, decided, you know what, we're going to go to the moon? <laughs> I yeah. mean, to make that statement right after he became president was kind of kind of a bold move, wasn't it, Charles? Well, it, it it was certainly a bold move. I don't I don't have to offer my opinion. We we know why he did it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, there's there's actual facts. 
this is history. Um, he, look, um, the Russians were um, really uh, crushing the United States in space in that era. They did everything first. They had the first spaceship of any kind. That was Sputnik. They launched the first animals to space and recovered them safely. They launched the first probe that went to the moon. They launched the first astronaut. They launched the first female astronaut. They launched the first spacecraft with two people in it. They did the first spacewalk where they opened the hatch in space and went outside. Kennedy was really upset. He said, coming in second in space is the same as losing. And I don't think the United States should be losing to the Soviet Union. Yeah, well. And so he, he said, how do we, I don't want to like pull even with them. I don't want this to be like a horse race. I want to leapfrog. I want to win. How do I do that? And NASA said, and the, the, the people who, who knew the, the, the space world then said, the only way to win is to say we're going to go to the moon. Because although they are ahead, going to the moon is so hard that, that the lead they have now won't help them. They have to really reach far. And he said, great, let's do it. You know what's really I mean, interesting? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sir. No, I was going to say, he didn't just say, great, let's do it. There was a... It was a process, but it was not a long process. It, this, this, was, this, this sort of uh, frustration was sparked by the Russians putting the first human being in space. And he said, let's go to the moon six weeks later. And during that six weeks, there was an incredibly intense effort to make sure this was the right goal and also to make sure it was something that could actually be achieved. He was told there was only a 50-50 chance of making it to the moon uh, safely on time and back. And here's, here's part of leadership. What he knew was announcing the goal would change the odds, would make the odds much better mm. because people would rally to the cause. Yeah, that would make sense, actually. The... Um I don't know the whole situation with going to the moon. I mean, obviously, I was a I was a little boy when it happened, but I do remember watching it on television. It was fascinating to watch people walk on on the moon. <laughs> they're swinging <laughs> they're swinging golf clubs, and they're remember that they they had uh, who was it that had the golf club with? Was that on the initial mission? Or was that a couple missions later? No, no, that was a couple missions in. I believe right, that right. was Alan Shepard with the. Oh, golf that's club. right. We, but really, we, don't forget, we flew three General Motors cars to the moon and drove them around. <laughs> That's like we, right. we, we kind of we did this when we when we decided we were going to do it. We did it right. We gave the astronauts the last three missions. They had they had a car. That once you get there, you want to be able to look around. Yeah, you want to drive around in comfort. Yeah, that would make sense. You want to be how did they ever fit in a car with all that uh, the spacesuits on and all the rest? Yeah. Of it? You know that, that the lunar rover was a is a is a little story of, of amazement all its own. It only weighed four hundred and sixty pounds. Really, and the the seats were webbed uh, to keep the weight low. Well, on one sixth lunar gravity, uh, although the astronauts with their spacesuits would have weighed something like three hundred and fifty pounds back on Earth, on the Moon they only weighed about sixty pounds, and so you didn't need you didn't need to build it for the weight and mass of the equipment on Earth. You mm-hmm. were doing it for the moon. And, and it, it was really ingenious. Each wheel had its own little motor so that it, you couldn't get bogged down and get trapped. And um, it was solar powered. It was electric. Uh, it had a color TV camera on the front. It, the, the lunar rover changed the game. It, it meant that you could travel eight or ten miles away from where you landed that you could really pick five things you wanted to study and go study them. It meant you could see something and dash over there and, and look at it. And you know what? It was also just a heck of a lot of fun to drive. The astronauts loved it. It was a kick. They, you can hear them laughing while they're driving it. It was so much fun. Um, you know, I've never heard anybody go in-depth talking about what it was like to be you know, among the first people on the moon. It's been talked about, but as far as like really getting inside some of these guys' heads and how did it actually feel, how did it affect you emotionally and intellectually, and that's a fascinating story, what it must have felt like 220,000 miles away, standing on the moon, 
I, you, I will never know what that feels like. It had to be amazing. <laughs> well, you know, you've, maybe you've stood at the Grand Canyon. Maybe mm-hmm. you've stood mm-hmm. at the foot of a glacier, right? There are, look, if you go out to the deserts of, of the Great West, Arizona and Colorado, in a, in a, in a kind of isolated place at night and look up at the sky, the sky is truly amazing. So you can, you can have a kind of incredible experience here on earth. Only 12 people have been to the moon and they were both one kind of personality at some level. 11 of the 12 were military U S military pilots. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a particular kind of quality of person, but they also reacted very, very differently. You know, they all had this, those 12 people have written 18 books. Um, so if you want to, if you want to know how they felt, you can, you can dive in, you know, Buzz Aldrin was the second man on the moon. Mm-hmm. He loves talking about the experience, but he also came back and, and had a big struggle. He was an alcoholic. He got yeah. divorced. He, he really had to sort of figure out how to cope with it. Neil Armstrong was sort of the, the smart choice to be the first person on the moon, but he didn't enjoy having been the first person on the moon. That is so no. clear. He, he did everything that people asked him to do. He was great when he came back, gracious, smart. He didn't, he didn't vent frustration or anything, but he wasn't enjoying it. He did not be the center of attention. And he was the center of attention for the whole rest of his life. Yeah. So, Yep. You know, one of the one of the guys, I, I don't have all the names right in my brain, one of the guys became a painter, and Alan Bean, that's Alan Bean, and, and sort of did just what you're talking about. He really absorbed right. the emotional experience of right. going to the moon and turned it into art. He said, I want to try and convey the feeling that I had by, by, by doing paintings that conjure that feeling in you. So... Uh, I, I flew in zero gravity to write the book. That's not the same, but well, pretty <laughs> that close. Was a, that was, yeah, not no, but it was a while <laughs> and one. I mean, I wanted, but that's why I did it. I did it just to get the tiniest taste of what that space travel experience was like as I was working on the book. And also, it's more fun to fly in zero gravity than it is to go through the archives of NASA. So I yes. thought it was time to have some fun. Charles, Charles the reason <laughs> I, I ask you that is you look at, and you already talked about the fact that Neil Armstrong was kind of, uh, uh, kind of a very laid-back guy and kind of a private guy, and that's the way he handled the whole situation. And, you know, painting, doing paintings to try to bring out your feelings about being on the moon. But you mentioned Buzz Aldrin, and I've talked to Buzz a few times. He's a very nice guy, but <laughs> what I asked him one time, and he actually laughed at this because he's got a good sense of humor. I said, you know, you got one guy who doesn't want to talk a whole lot about it. Buzz, you went to the moon, second man on the moon. You came back, drank a lot, got divorced, and got in fist fights. All right. <laughs> Remember that? He got in all these fist fights all the time. It's like, Buzz, what are you doing? And what did he say? He just said, hey, you know, the, I was that was Buzz before I was on the moon, and it's Buzz after I was on the moon. <laughs> That's basically what he said. Well, just just to be fair to Buzz Aldrin, he also has a doctorate from yeah. MIT. Yeah. And, and he, his thesis is about how you fly in space, and it was considered so brilliant and so insightful that it really became the handbook down at Houston, down at the Manned Spacecraft Center, for helping other astronauts learn how to do that. So he, he, he does now, in his 80s, he has this reputation for being a little bit wacky, but he was also, he was also brilliant. And in fact, the, the, the best, widely considered the best book um, about going to the moon was written by Michael Collins, who was their crewmate on mm-hmm. Apollo 11 mm-hmm. and didn't land. He, he went... You know, he stayed in orbit, but but really beautiful, uh, beautifully written account of what it was like to become an astronaut and what it was like to fly in space. You know, the, my book is about the other end of the equation. My book is really devoted to the people back on Earth. There were uh, almost half a million people, 410,000 people worked just to send uh, 21 guys to the moon. Uh, 11, 11 missions, seven of which made it to the moon, or, or depends on how you count. 
at 410,000 people, more people working on going to the moon than fighting in Vietnam for three years of the war. And so the the story's almost always told from the perspective of the astronauts, and Mm -hmm. that's, that's understandable. But I really wanted to bring to life the people who made the lunar module and the people who sewed the spacesuits, those kinds of people as well. You know, I always ask this question, Charles, when we talk about um, the one giant leap and all the rest of it. Why do some people want to believe it never happened? I don't understand that. Well, that's, 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 that's a better question than, um, is it a conspiracy? Why do they? Right. I think, I, I don't. I don't know, and you don't want to be condescending. I don't. I haven't spent, you know, a month interviewing people like that, which is, as a reporter, how I would typically try and answer that question. I would, like, go to them and say, why do you think that? Right. But, but the sense you get is that they are simply skeptical of the government. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a ridiculous thing to think. It's, it's not just ridiculous, it's so disrespectful mm-hmm. to those 410,000 people who devoted a decade of their life to making this happen, not, not to mention Buzz Aldrin might come and punch you. But, <laughs> um, but here's, Very good. here's the thing. Here's the thing. This was a race with the Russians, with the Soviet Union. When Apollo 11 got to the moon on July 19th, the day before the, the landing, There was a Russian, there was a Soviet um, unmanned robotic probe in orbit, Luna 15. It had been launched two days, three days before Apollo 11. The job of Luna 15 was to land on the moon real quick, send out a, you know, extend a scoop, scoop up moon rocks and dirt, blast back off from the moon, and make it back to the Soviet Union before Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins could bring the rocks home on Apollo 11. Then the Soviets could say, we got the moon rocks first, mm-hmm. and we didn't even need people to do it. And <laughs> unfortunately for the Russians, Luna 15 crashed into the side of a mountain that they didn't know was there. And so Whoops. it didn't, it, a sister ship succeeded a year later. But here's the point. If we had faked any part of this, the Russians would have announced it Correct. In- instantly. And you know what? They would have announced it with joy. With satisfaction. Oh, yeah. Because right to the end, they were racing us in their own way that they were still capable of. There is no way the Soviets would have kept a quote unquote secret. So you could think whatever you want. There was no conspiracy. And you know what? I want to live in the world where this happened. Yes. Because that's a world where ordinary people, people just like you and me, people just like today's Americans, did this almost unimaginably challenging undertaking. I don't want to live in some pinched world where there's a conspiracy and they did it on a TV set. That's, it's not true. It's disrespectful, but it's also a strange way. Uh, prove to me the American Revolution happened. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Maybe the government made, it's a good story. Maybe the government made it up to make us all patriotic. How can I you like prove it? it? Ladies and gentlemen, one giant leap, the impossible mission that flew us to the moon. And by the way, Charles, your answer is every smart guy I've asked that. That's the exact answer they give. Why would we do that? And why would the Russians not rat us out? Very good answer, Charles. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Charles Fishman, one giant leap, the impossible mission that flew us to the moon. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. (laughs) 